Life isn't about avoiding the bruises. It's about collecting the scars to prove that we showed up for it. Join Nikki Seberini for the next hour as she explores heroism through illness. There is a warrior inside each of us. This is Life Links with the DL Link. Life Links is a funding initiative of the DL Link. Well, welcome, welcome to the show. Yes, this is it, the DL Link show where we connect you through insights, information and illumination. I'm Nikki Seberini. I'm with you until one o'clock. This is a show of highlighting the extraordinary and sometimes the very ordinary, sometimes the struggle, the pain, how we rise above, how we make very conscious decisions in our life to be better, do better, respond in a better way. And uh, I really hope that uh, every week with the guests that we have, and we have such a wide range of guests from doctors and treatments and the latest in treatments to inspiring people, to chefs, to um, beautiful cultural, um, huge um, um, influences in the best possible way. And uh, I really hope that you enjoy it all, the exposure to these incredible people people as much as I do. So, you know, when I when I say the name Hugh Masikela, I mean, what comes to mind? Do you start tapping your foot? Do you smile? Do you think of the wonderful African jazz? I mean, he has been called the father of African jazz. He passed away from prostate cancer four years ago um, and on the 23rd of January, 2018. And so, to celebrate his cultural legacy, um, to remember the brilliance of Hugh Masikele, the uh, Hugh Masikele Heritage Foundation and Asupal are going to be putting on an incredible festival taking place this Sunday. Um, and uh, I have Pula Twala, who is Hugh Masikele's daughter. She's also the event co-organizer to chat to us about her dad, um, what it is to be the daughter of such a giant and um, what people can look forward to because I don't know about you but it really feels like life is beginning once again it's not to say COVID's not there it's not to say we can't um, you know put our guard down we need to be careful we need to be cautious but you know the drumbeat the the rhythm of life is pulling us and hey a celebration on Sunday sounds amazing so I'd like to welcome Pula. Pula welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Good day. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, I was so excited when I read this because seriously, I think, you know, the last couple of years have been so quiet and to be able to celebrate your father in this way is a wonderful, wonderful thing, Pula. Now, we're going to be talking about this festival um, in a moment, but let's get a little bit personal. I mean, what was it like being the daughter of the great Hugh Masikela? It's it's always a very strange question because um, I suppose I speak for a lot of people who are family of maybe people who are that uh, larger than life is that you actually don't get to spend as much time as you would like to with them yeah. because they're always on the road and they belong to people and they're sharing their art and I suppose, you know, God's gift. So it was surreal sometimes because uh, you would be with him, but you're not really with him. Uh, but what was beautiful about him is that he really did like 
take time out to really just be with you alone. And those were really the most amazing moments where, um, you know, there's no autographs, there's no music, there's just no people. And he really is in the moment with you. He was a great teacher. He, he loved uh, talking and, and teaching about just life in general, not just his. And one thing that was very amazing about him is that he loved learning about people and things. He was always fascinated about, you know, my stories in high school and, you know, all kinds of things. It almost like he was always inspired just by life. So it was um bittersweet in terms of not spending as much time as one would with their father. Mm-hmm. And secondly, that when he does make the time, it really is special it's special, it's memorable, and you just feel that you're getting all the attention that you need in that moment. And he loved traveling a lot and taking us with. So the beautiful thing is that I got to see places, be around kind, the kind of people uh, that I wouldn't ordinarily be in, in, in normal life if he didn't have the life he had and the, and the, and the job that he had. So you got to experience a whole lot um, through mm-hmm. your father, Pula. And I mean, uh, just reading his story, what, what an incredible story. I mean, growing up and we can even talk to some of that, but did you, did he share those stories with you or was it, did you really uncover all of this as you got older, as he got older, or, or were you aware of it from a, from a young child, just what he was doing and, and his story? Not, not really. I think actually I got to know his story around about the same time the, the world knew it when he yeah. told it. He got when he wrote his book still grazing so you kind of think you know but you don't and the thing with my father is because he was in exile for most of his life I was born in exile in Liberia where my mother was a doctor and they met there and then I came back to what was then Buputatswana which is now the northwest to come and live with my mother's family so I, I wasn't with him for quite a big chunk of my life. I knew of him. He was beautiful in that his language of love was gifts. So people were sneaking things through the border since he wasn't allowed to be communicating with his family and his country. And I would receive like uh, Scottish skirts and Ghanaian balls and, uh, you know, Turkish necklaces. It was just <laughs> also beautiful, but so confusing because everybody around me had ordinary Barbie dolls and ordinary clothes. And I just had... Some of them were like, it felt embarrassing at the time until I got to understand life and how vast and how much he made me travel earlier than I knew. So I hadn't really known him. I started knowing him properly when I was like in my teens, when he came back in 1990. And my mother's family brought me to to South Africa then, which is really just Johannesburg, to come and live with my father's family. So then I was being partly raised by his sisters, but I was closer to him. And... I got to know him. I think he he worked really hard to be my friend because we didn't really know each other. Um, when I look back at it, he re- he worked really hard to be my friend. And then we became such good friends that I only really got to know the vastness of the man's life when I read his book and I was blown away. So, yeah, it was wow. quite beautiful and interesting, yeah. Wow, Pula. And what a, what an upbringing you've had, you know, as you say, to be born in exile, to 
move to live with your mother, then in your teens, because I mean, there have been so many foundational years that have taken place before that, as you say, without really knowing your father and certainly his family, and then to be thrust into that environment was, and, and this as again, larger than life, generous, beautiful, loving man, but ostensibly quite a stranger to you and being a teen, always, you know, as teenagers, we want to fit in, don't we? How was that internally for you? Um, it was very strange. I mean, I think for the first part, I was quite angry with my mother's family because I was thrust also not only just into my father's life, but into like just something I didn't understand. It was huge. It was, it was annoying for a teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, overwhelming because people immediately want you to be something that you've never been. So the whole like smile and this is your father and oh my God, you're so blessed. And why, you know, kind of don't want you to be meek and shy and fade into the background. They're always pushing you to the front. And if you know who put that one and what not, this really still is, it's like very small town. I was quite kind of backward, if that really is a word. And uh <laughs> And I just didn't understand like the bright lights and the, and the big cityness of it. So as a teenager, I was like partly angry, partly confused and then got to, uh, got to like fall in love with him in order for me to fall in love with his life and understand it fully. Oh, Pula, we're going to take a break. Um, just a quick ad break. We're going to be right back. Please stay there. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Now, well, welcome back. I have Pula Twala, Hugh Masikela's daughter, um, and she's also an, the event co-organizer for the Hugh Masikela Heritage Festival, which is taking place. And we're talking um, about her father and um, what an extraordinary man, a giant of a man, but really she only got to get, know him um, as a teenager. And um, wow, I've just been reading through such incredible information about um, Hugh Masikele, born in Witbank um, in a, a township called Kwagukwa, and that his father, um, Thomas Selina Masekele, was a health inspector and a sculptor, and um, his mom, Pauline Bowers Masekele, was a social worker. And just that from the age, really, of 14, he started to play the trumpet. He had been playing the piano at a young age. His grandmother brought him up, and just an extraordinary life, his influences. But what I find really, really interesting is that there were people in his life who identified the brilliance and who supported him. One such person being Archbishop um, Trevor Huddleston, who we all know um, as this anti-apartheid chaplain. And he played quite a, a, a major role in that he helped um, Hugh with getting a trumpet and forming this youth choir, which then got the attention of someone we all know um, who actually went and bought him a, 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 a trumpet, and that is Louis Armstrong. So Pula, that's where I'm going to bring you in because as you said, you know, you read your father's book and then you started to see, wow, this is incredible. So, I mean, I could carry on and on with the kind of names, the people that your father worked with, the doors that opened. I mean, many challenges obviously along the way, but the, because of his brilliance and because of his talent, doors did seem to open. Did he ever express that to you or did he just express how, how difficult and challenging the road had been? What, would it, what was it like from his perspective? 
I think from his perspective, he was a kind of person who just always saw, um, I, you know, my brothers and I always tease him that he was just like the cat with nine lives. You know, he always <laughs> saw a reason to, you know, kind of like stay optimistic, bounce back. He was, one thing about him is that he was very angry, obviously, about the state of the country and very hurt. And a lot of people, we've heard many stories uh, of being in exile and what they missed out on and what they were cut away from. So those who have had read his story do know that, you know, he struggled with, I think, something like 45 years of, like, addiction, just trying mm-hmm. to kind of uh, get through the pain. Uh, something, I, I know that one of his deepest pains was not being able to come back home and bury his mother, and it really, I think, almost just ruined him as a person. But he was able to, uh, you know, bounce back and 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 make a life while carrying that pain. He's made very beautiful music even out of a lot of that pain. Some activist music, some very sentimental music, some very, you know, melancholic but historical that uh, make sure that we don't forget, you know, where we come from and where we are going. So he has shared that, but I think people who've been through also that kind of pain, he 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 wasn't, he didn't like to be very vulnerable, you know, about uh, those issues, but he loved the vulnerability that the music and the art allowed for him to express. He loved collaborations. He just, he was just always working with everybody on everything. And uh, when I, you know, when I, when I started working, I started working with him. So I started working for uh, the, 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 the company that managed him that was called Team Music Man and I started working there and one of the biggest frustrations for us is that he'd be coming back from like a studio and he's like oh I've recorded a song with so and so so finish off the deal and you know he he just colored outside of the lines he had no time <laughs> for you know a contract must be in place first and this record label must talk to that record label so he really just loved life he loved people but he really really loved life and was highly inspired by life and by the possibilities, he just didn't love, he didn't like borders, you know. Uh-huh. Um, they so restricted him. Yeah, yeah, he just <laughs> just didn't like borders at all. And he just spoke out about it. And I'm just talking about borders, like the physical ones between countries and just things that say you can't do this because of this and that and that. And uh-huh. I think that's why even for somebody who worked with him as his daughter, he was one of the <laughs> the most frustrating clients to have because he just <laughs> did what he loved, but he did it brilliantly. You would see the genius once, you know, you are done with the paperwork or some things have been worked out and you realize that you couldn't have set this up and had too many meetings about it. It had to be done in the moment. He knew where to find the magic and how to find it. And like you mentioned earlier, that the relationship with Trevor Huddleston, he also, you know, always talked about how that was the closest to spiritual that he got to because this was somebody who came in as a father figure for the young boys because they were teenagers and really like saw them for who they are and worked hard for their dreams to be realized when they were not really into academics. And he was always extremely grateful to the role that Trevor Huddleston played in their lives because it was with Jonas Gwangwa and many other young people yes. who, who became quite, uh, you know, amazing artists and activists later in life. So, so Pula, later on in life, when your father was diagnosed with cancer, um, you talk about feeling spiritual with, you know, during that time in his life, this father figure. How did he approach being diagnosed with cancer? How, what was that journey like for him and for you and the family? I think the journey for him, it was 
very, very difficult for the family, I must say. Because my father, I'd mentioned earlier on, had been an addict. He was also very good at addiction and I, I mean, at, 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 sorry, denial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something that is always very difficult for people to really want to talk about because he had mastered denial so much in addiction. He unfortunately also mastered denial with the cancer. He was, and, and, and it's got two sides to it where, where, you know, some people would say, look, he's optimistic, he's hopeful, and he, he is going to get well because he says he's going to get well. But for the most part, he really didn't want to look again at the details of what's really happening to his body, what this really means. He wasn't a good patient. You know, yeah. he was still traveling. He wanted to be on stage. And so his body took a beating because of um how much he pushed it in terms of still wanting to do the work that he wanted to do. Um, and so he wasn't resting enough. He wasn't, um, he, he was a good eater. He was, he was into Tai Chi. He exercised. He loved swimming. So he relied a lot on the, on the systems that he already had in place and the medication that he was given. So he took the medication well, but the doctors kept on saying rest, 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 cancel, cancel, cancel. And it's the one thing that he was very clear that's not going to happen. So I feel that then his body deteriorated faster because he was not resting. So it became a very difficult thing for us as a family because it was almost like you couldn't talk about how he's changing, you know, what things are how he's losing yeah. weight, how he doesn't have strength anymore. We would kind of like talk behind closed doors and sometimes he would pick it up and he would be angry. It's almost like you people are not carrying the optimism and believing in the healing the way I am. And uh-huh. he said his religion was music. So he never really conformed to any uh, religious practice. He was just like the gift that God gave him was um, um, a music and song and being able to play, you know, the horn. And if ever there was a comparison to prayer, it was when he lifted his horn. So mm-hmm. even up to the end, it really what his heart longed for, to be on stage, to be playing, to, yeah, to, I suppose, continue praying in the way that he believed that what prayer was. And so uh, anybody who's had, you know, a terminal uh, a family member knows the journey. It's difficult to just see the person becoming a, a weaker version of themselves. And it was, it was a horrific time. I, I can't sugarcoat it. And yeah. right until the time that he went, it was just a horrific um experience it was traumatic and i think by the time he passed away which we all knew that it was going to happen because of the doctors we were exhausted from the journey of the illness you know mm-hmm. i think i only really started mourning kind of like a year after he had passed away because even his death itself was a world event you didn't have the luxury of just sitting in the corner you had to like organize and respond to the world about what an amazing person this was, what a big loss to the world this was. So the whole thing was quite um almost like a dream, but mm. uh, we are here now and it all made sense at some point. And I mean, it's a strange thing to say, but um in hindsight, I'm kind of proud of how he refused to die. It was true to who he was. He refused <laughs> to give into anything at any time and he refused to give in to the cancer. We were disappointed, but it was not his problem. And I feel that he died gracefully because he died. I've never enjoyed the word fight. He died fully believing that he was well. Hmm. 
Pula, thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, that's deeply personal. And um, there's so many people who listen to the show who, you know, who have been on the journey, who are on the journey. And, um, yeah, I think there are many people resonating on so many levels with what you've shared with us. Thanks for that, Pula. So on the 23rd of January 2018, your father passed. And um, as you said, it was traumatic and you've had all of this time but now there's a celebration now you're going to be celebrating his cultural legacy and it is time to celebrate it's time to you know move forward and just remember what life is all about tell us about what's happening so we are very excited about this the Humasakela Heritage Festival itself was actually uh, uh, created by him while he was still alive and he just was hungry for a festival that celebrates our heritage, that shows off our um, our music. And um, what we've always done is that it it, it was it has always come off like a folk um, a festival. Um, mm-hmm. It's always incorporated all kinds of music, all kinds of artists from different kinds of backgrounds. And it was something that he also wanted to be taken to the people because it's always that the people have to come to the city and get into taxis and pay monies to come to amazing things. And this is something that he did in the township. We did it for one year in Alexandra, which is one of the townships he grew up in. And then we ended up settling in Soweto. So because of uh, the pandemic, as you mentioned earlier, we obviously now could not put on the shows uh, uh, outdoor and on stage with people. So since last year, we started uh, pre-recording shows, continuing the celebration. And we had a good response last year. And as we're moving towards um, the end of last year, which is kind of the time that we put the show on, that's when uh, the Omicron was announced and it just proved to be difficult to be able to put something together for that time. And obviously it came to us that uh, it would be a great way to then use the festival, something that he started to celebrate him on his birth. On, he, on, on, the, on the day of his uh, passing so that it is, like you said earlier, more of a celebration and we feel like, you know, kind of the dark cloud of mourning has come off and it's time to kind of to the world and to ourselves and to the country and to the continent that he he contributed to to, to say this is who he was and this is what his legacy was. So we've curated artists that we believe celebrate our culture our language, our clothing, our food, our couture, um, and the people who are kind of gatekeepers of um, our heritage. And another thing that we did is that we kept the lineup a little bit younger this year because he loved young people. He loved learning from them. And we believed it would be a great celebration because the future uh, does belong to the youth that um it's great to listen to them and hear them and see what they are bringing along from what the hues did, uh, you know, the hues of the world had put in the world, how they've reinterpreted it and put it out to the world. So we're excited. We have Mandisi Janchis, Langama Vuso, Dinam Thope, Msaki. Um, he had two great friends that were also fellow artists that used to perform with him, Sibongile Kumalo and Tsepotsula, who both unfortunately passed away last year. So we are celebrating them by paying tribute to them with two young artists, one being Ayanda Kumalo, who's Sibomila Kumalo's daughter, and the other one, Mandlan Plax, who is a, a very well-known young man in the industry and who honors uh, Bratsa Potsula in the most amazing way. So, yeah, it's going to be a musical feast and a cultural feast and a, 
and um, a celebration of our heritage on the 23rd of uh, January at 8 p.m. And we have put <laughs> online again because, like I said, it's been so hard to navigate that we figured the best way for us to not, you know, run around and try and figure things out is to put it online. And it allows us also an international audience, people who love yeah. the world to have access to the show as well. Mm, but well, beautiful. I mean, and, but it, it, it just symbolizes new beginnings, celebrations, remembering. It's, it's wonderful. Zapula, how do people, um, book or how can people get involved or watch or what, what's, what's involved with that? So, uh, people just have to log on to www.skyroomlive.com. It's free. You don't register. It's very true to Hugh. Again, as I said earlier on about him loving access, you know, people having easy access to things and us just making things beautiful and simple. You literally log in and uh, Skyroom Live is a beautiful, easy site to navigate where they already have a holding page on. Um, you just click on it. And at 8 p.m. on the 23rd of January, which is the Sunday, the show is just going to to kick off. So it's a very easy way to to see the show on skyroomlife.com. What a treat, Pula. What a treat. What a lot of work you've put together um, for a, a beautiful occasion. And as you say, everyone has access to it. And what a way to start the year. Thank you, Pula. Thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you for sharing stories, your personal life and insights as well, and for putting this together and making it available. We so appreciate it. And um, it's really been wonderful chatting. Thank you so much for having us and and thank you for letting me open up um, in the way that you have. Sometimes uh, it's always easier to speak to certain people about certain things. You never know you will share so much until the space is beautiful and it's it's catching you. So thank you also to you for for allowing the space. Thank you, Pula. Go well and all the very, very best. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. The the beautiful beautiful and very special um, Pula Twala, Hugh Masikela's daughter, and the event co-organizer for this wonderful event happening on Sunday, sharing so much about her father and her very personal uh, story as well.